I'm going to start off with a little Bible question. Perhaps it's a joke. It's about cheating women. You're going to love this. So, in my family, right, we just heard about uh, my cousin Jacob and his wife Cassie. They just had a baby. Is she a cheating wife? She had an epidural to numb the pain, and God said the consequences for Eve's sin was you will have pain and childbearing. Is she cheating the system? <laughs> that pain is supposed to remind us of the consequences of sin, and she's not feeling nothing. I don't know. We men still have to dig weeds, and our work is still hard. Maybe we're cheating too because we use Roundup, so it's not as hard to deal with the weeds, but uh, just wondering. I'm, that might be a serious question. Maybe we're supposed to feel that pain, women, to remind us of the consequences for sin. Maybe not. Yeah. All right. We're going to read, yeah. We're going to read about another pregnancy right now, a wild pregnancy in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Please turn there with me in your Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'll be reading the first 20 verses. Now there was a certain man of Ramathim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. And he had two wives, the name of one was Hannah, the name of the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight, 
So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and calls his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Amen. Let me pray again real quick. God, our Father, I am not worthy of the least of your mercies. Thank you for being willing to use a, a poor vessel such as me to glorify you. I pray that you are indeed glorified in my weakness. May you be strong. May you speak through me and use me, purify my mind, my heart, and my tongue. May your sheep, may your flock hear your voice and be fed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here's our cast of characters. We got Eli, he's the priest. We got Elkanah, he's a godly man. He's the husband. We got Hannah, the first wife. Penina, I'm probably going to say her name different every single time. Penina, that's the second wife. So, men, ready? raise your hand if you think having two wives is a great idea. <laughs> Not one person took the bait. That's, that's sad. That would have been fun. So throughout the Bible, you'll see uh, godly men on occasion having multiple wives. I'll tell you right here, that is not the plan of God. The original plan of God was laid out where? In Genesis, right at the beginning. One man, one wife, for one lifetime. That is the plan of God. Anything outside of that is not in God's plan. That's not His will. Now, he shows mercy and he shows grace when that happens. But we need to have this in mind for today's society because we see it today that when people get married, they don't have forever in mind, usually. They just have five to ten years in mind and see what happens. For Christians, divorce should never be a word that is considered in your household. I'm not saying it won't come, and I'm not saying God doesn't allow it for certain instances. I'm just saying it should not be a thought that runs through your mind, because if it is, it opens up a door to a conversation you should never have. Divorce should never be an option, unless it's really forced upon you. We should desire to show grace and mercy and forgiveness and suffering and sacrifice, just like God shows us. And we deal with our spouses fairly according to the way God tells us to. Not the way they earn, but the way God tells us to. Because I tell you right now, I don't deserve to be loved. I don't deserve to be respected by my wife, but my wife should love me and respect me. Because God deserves to be listened to, and God asks her to do that. That should be our hearts to always obey and live the way God wants us to. So, we should also know that anytime we go outside God's plan... There will be negative consequences, many times unintended. But look what we have here. We have a godly man. He takes two wives. He took one wife first. Then he took a second. And look at these unintended consequences. You got two women wanting the same man. You got two women bitter at each other and feuding because they want the attention of the same man. You got two women who are unhappy because they're both struggling and fighting for his attention. They're both stressing out all day. Who's the better wife? Is he going for her or is he going for me? Which room is he sleeping in tonight? Every day, can you imagine the pain and misery these women are going through? It was not intended. It was not intended at all. But now you got three miserable people. 
You got the first wife who's unhappy, now she has to share her husband physically, emotionally, intimately, spiritually. He's with her sometimes. Not only that, the other wife gave him children. Now, he ha now his heritage is coming from her. The thing she wanted to give to her husband the most, another woman gave him. What a horrible situation. But look at the other woman, the second wife. It's not much better for her because Elkanah got put in a bad position too. Now that he has two wives, he has an option to pick a favorite. I don't have that option. I have one wife. She's, she's my favorite. <laughs> this man's put in a situation where he has an option. And sadly, he picked one. It says he loved Hannah. And he showed it. He didn't hide it. He played favoritism. You can't do that. He gave her a double portion. He loved her. He spent more time with her. How do you think the second wife felt? She don't want to be in that marriage. She's married to a man who loves somebody else. Elkanah turns into a less quality man because he picks favorites and shows favoritism. Hannah turns into a sad woman because she has to share her husband with another woman. Penina turns into a bitter woman because the man she's married to loves somebody else. It's not a good situation. All these unintended consequences of going outside God's plan. Now here's the question. If God, if Elkanah was a godly man, which he was, you see how he treated Hannah. Babe, honey, what's wrong? I mean, I know it's wrong, but am I not better than you than ten sons? I'm so good to you. And he takes her with him to worship, and they go and worship consistently. They lived out of town, but when they had to go make those corporate visits to come together as a family of God, because you're not to forsake the fellowship of God. You're not to be a Christian at home. You are supposed to come together and remind yourself, we are a family. We are on the same team. We're on team Jesus, whether you're in this building or not, whether you have different political beliefs or not, whether you have different angers and vices or not, whether you have personalities that clash or not, you are a family and you need to remember that and we need to represent that family to the world. If we can't stand united, why would anybody think we got anything going on worth following? And look at the situation for these two women. When Elkanah goes to worship because he is a godly man, he takes both women. And when both wives go, one wife taunts the other and provokes her endlessly. And guess what happens to Hannah? She has to go worship next to the woman who is taunting and provoking her and mocking and ridiculing her. But she went, didn't she? But she still went. May that be a lesson to us. Don't just start skipping churches and things like that just because the person next to you doesn't rub you the right way. Rub you the right way, this lady taunted and mocked and humiliated Hannah. And Hannah still went to worship. She still went with her husband. She still went. It wasn't easy. Year after year, that woman provoked her. Year after year, they traveled together. Year after year, she had to worship next to that woman over and over. And she still went for God. So, now you got both women heartbroken. Elkanah, the godly man. If he's so godly, why did he take a second wife? Most likely... It's because his wife was barren. It wasn't because he was trying to play the field. It wasn't because the first wife wasn't satisfying. It's because he wanted children and they, he loved his wife. He wanted it to be just her. 
But he had no children and he wanted a heritage. He wanted children to pour himself into, to carry on the family name, to play with, to enjoy. Everybody wants children for the most part. He wanted children and his wife couldn't give him any. The only option seemed like, well, I guess I take another wife and I have kids with her. He wasn't put in a good situation. He just wasn't. But the answer is never sin. The answer is never going outside God's plan and God's will. It just never is. And he did it. And there's some negative consequences for that. And let's consider Hannah. Things started so well for her. She's a godly woman. She gets a godly man. She gets a godly husband that actually loves her. And she gets a godly man who loves her and he's rich. That's a pretty good score for her. She's got it going on. This life is looking good. Things are going great. I got the life I always wanted. I'm a godly woman. I got the godly man. He loves me. He cares about me. He takes care of me. He cares about my needs. He's sensitive to me. This is what I always wanted. Blessed until the problem occurs. No children. Now, why did she not have children? Was it because of sin? Because if you read through the Bible, sometimes the consequences of sin for a woman was God shut their womb. She's a godly woman. You can see by her behavior right here. She's a godly woman. She examined herself. She knew it wasn't from sin. She didn't say, God, please forgive me of this sin and open my womb, restore my womb. No, no, no. She examined herself. She knew it wasn't from sin. Was it from a physical ailment? Was she just born with a birth defect? Did she get in an accident? Something that caused her to not be able to have children? No. Why did she not have children? Verse 5 and 6. It says it twice. Although the Lord had closed her womb, and her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. Now, do you see what it said? This double wives thing. It didn't say sister wives like the TV show. It called her her rival. It's not a good idea. But it was the Lord who had closed her womb. He's the one who brought the problem. Why would he do that? He prepared this problem just for her. Many times, the beginning of our blessing, our great act from God in our lives, when God's going to do something great through us, many and most times it does not start from a place of luxury, comfort, or success. Many times it starts with pain. Are you willing to go through a little pain for God to do something great in your life? That's not what we all want. That's what it took for me when I was 27. I wasn't serving God. I was saved. I was a child of God. I was born again. I knew the truth. I wanted to live the truth, but I didn't want it bad enough. I wanted to live for me. God gave me a brain tumor, took all the things I was prideful about, knocked me down a peg or two. Not enough. I needed to be knocked down about 10 pegs. She said, okay, now I'm going to take your job. How about that? What else are you going to be prideful about? Your face was broken. You got no money. Your athleticism that you were prideful about is gone because they severed my balance nerve, so I had no balance. No, nobody really wanted to talk to me. I go out and try to do my job, and they don't want to talk about my sales presentation. They want to talk about, what's wrong with your face? Because when you take a drink, it just pours out the other side. It's like, yeah, side of my face doesn't work. I can't close my drink like this. I have to close my fingers. God knocked me down a peg or two. 
That's what it took to get me living for him. That's what it took to do something great in Hannah's life. What if that's what it takes to get you in a position where God can do something great for you? Will you take the pain? If that's what it takes to give God glory, will you go through some suffering so God can use you? See, the Lord shut her womb to make sure she hurt bad enough to where she could be used by God. He will make you uncomfortable. Why? So you run to him. He knows if he leaves you comfortable and satisfied that we won't seek him with all our hearts. That's just the straight facts of this life. If you are comfortable, if you are satisfied, why do you need to run to him? I'll run to him when I need it. Well, okay, then I'm going to make sure you need it because I want you to run to me. That's how God feels. So what's the purpose of this? Look, some women don't even want children. They have them anyway. Some women have children so easy that it's like not a big deal. But not Hannah. Because of the pain and suffering she went through of her closed womb, she, didn't, she wanted so badly to have kids for herself, she couldn't have them. She wanted so badly to have kids for her husband to make them happy, she couldn't have them. She's feeling pain and suffering. She wants a child. It's not like the other women who just have them. She's got something different going on. How many times have you ever heard of a woman who prayed to God and said, God, if you would just give me a child, I will raise him for you. He will be your child. He will belong to you. I will care for him. I will raise him to serve you. All the days of your life, he is yours. I will just raise him for you. Do you know of a woman who's ever prayed that? Praise God. But it's not most of them. But it was Hannah. But why did she get to that point? Because God closed her womb. If she had just got the kids right off the bat in marriage, if she had just got the kids when she said, God, please give me a child. I want to I make my husband happy. I want these children. She would have never got to the point, perhaps, where she says, God, give me a child for you. I will raise him for you, not for me, not for my husband, for you, God. You want to know the key to some answered prayers? Who likes to have their prayers answered? I do. Let's go to that bulletin real quick. I put some principles to answer prayer right here. First, you have to ask. He says, you have not because you ask not. Then he says, sometimes you ask and you don't have it because you ask amiss. That means you ask for the wrong reasons. There's some other things. Keep asking. Be persistent. Pray for what God wants. There's a couple more on here. Well, I promise you she was asking. I promise you she was persistent. But look at the normal motivations for a woman. Give me a child for me. Give me a child for my husband. Give me a child so these women will stop mocking me like I'm not a full woman. But eventually she got to the point where she said, give me a child for you. Now that's a prayer God can get on board with. That's exactly what God wants. Does he want you to have a child for you? Yes. Does he want you to have a child to please your husband? Yes. Does he want you to have a child so the women will stop ridiculing you? Yes. But you know what he wants more? He wants you to have a child that you raise him up for the Lord so he can make a difference for the kingdom of God. That's what he wants. Sometimes it takes a little pain and suffering to get us to that point where we can pray like that. Talk about proper motivation. That's a prayer God can get on board with. Let me tell you some examples from my life. I prayed very persistently, like God said, at least a thousand times to be a professional baseball player. I probably started about age five, and I prayed that till I was about 25. That's persistence. You know why he wasn't on board with that prayer? Clearly that prayer wasn't answered. You know why not? 
that prayer wasn't for him. Now, I even tried to lie and deceive him. I said, God, if you just give me that platform, I can glorify your name on TV every time a microphone's in my face. But God, not a fool. God knows my heart. That was all a lie. It was really, God, give me that platform for me because I want that glory. I don't, I don't care about glory for you. I kind of do. But what I really care about is glory for me. He said, I'm not on board with that prayer. That was not getting answered. You know, my mom told me she prayed for me. She prayed that I would be a preacher. I didn't say amen. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I went to the Catholic school growing up. I don't think there was a Christian school when I was in those elementary school ages other than the Catholic school. They teach Jesus, the true Jesus, God, became a man, died for the sins of the world. I went there. And what I learned over there is the preacher can't get married. I also learned the preacher doesn't make very much money. And I said, Mom, why are you praying for that for me? Because I want to get married and I want to make some money. I prayed for things for my glory. She prayed that I'd be a preacher. And where am I right now? I think that was a prayer God could get on board with. And she got that prayer answered. You know, here's another example of uh, my life. For years, I prayed for God to change my wife's bad habits. Years. And you know what I said to God? I said, God, when she has those bad habits, it really provokes my bad habits to come out. My bad habits only show themselves in a response to her bad habits. God, if you will just stop her from doing that, I will stop doing these sinful things. Can you please change her? <laughs> I prayed that multiple times. Is that a prayer God's on board with? Yes. He doesn't want her doing those sinful things either. But did he answer that prayer? No, he did not, because my motivations were not on board with what he really wanted the most. Yes, he wants her to change those sinful tendencies, but it's not my job to change her. It's my job to look in the mirror, take accountability for my actions, and take responsibility for me. And after five years of praying for God to change my wife, I finally realized, God, change me. And guess what? The I prayed that at about 11 o'clock at night, and the next morning my marriage was different. My marriage was better. I prayed for five years for God to change my wife, overlooking my sin, not dealing with my sinful tendencies, just I don't have to deal with them if she'll just stop doing that. God wants me to deal with my sin and handle my actions rightly. It doesn't matter how she acts. It does not matter my circumstances. I should not be provoked to act unchristlike, no matter what. No matter what she does, I'm responsible to act like Jesus Christ. And when I keep praying for God to change her, that is not helping me deal with my sin. That's just hiding it, shoveling it under the carpet. God said, I'm not on board with that. Now, I'll deal with your wife, but you need to look in the mirror and I'll deal with you. And the moment I prayed that, he said, that's a prayer I can get on board with. I will reveal your flaws to you, and we can start working on them. And my marriage got better, and it just kept climbing and climbing and climbing. Because that's a prayer God can get on board with. Amen? Amen? Totally wrong and unacceptable for me to pray to fix her and not deal with my own. What a hypocrite. You know who laid out that example of dealing with being provoked and harassed and taunted and provoked to sin? That's right. Hannah! 
man, we should learn a lot from this woman. Look how she responded. She didn't yell. She didn't cuss her out. She didn't terrorize her, make her life be miserable. She didn't taunt her back and say, by the way, you were the second choice's wife. Didn't throw it in her face that Elkanah loved her more. Didn't punch her. Didn't complain to her husband about her. Didn't talk bad about her to other women. Instead, she just responded with grace and ran to the Lord. That's what I should do. In this world where there's taunting and ridicule and provoking all over the place, I need to esteem each other person in this world as better than myself. Show dignity, respect, grace, and kindness. And walk worthy of the call in which I was called by the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what they say or do, we will respond to act like Jesus Christ. There is no excuse. I think I'm going to close with this. Hannah was a godly woman who did nothing to deserve this great hardship or suffering. She was obviously a godly woman, actively living for God. And yet she looked around and saw less godly people being more blessed than she was. She didn't understand it. She wasn't a fan of it. She didn't like it. She sees the woman who is taunting her and provoking her and making her feel like she's not a full woman. Humiliating her over and over and over. And that woman's womb was open and she had multiple children. And she says, here I am living for you, God. And you shut my womb. You allowed this woman to come in and be married to my husband. You allowed her womb to open. And you allowed my husband to be blessed by children from her. I don't get it, God. I've been living for you. She isn't acting like she lives for you. Why is she being blessed way beyond me? You ever felt like that? Why do we have cancer? Why do we have debt? Why do we have bills we can't pay? Why do we have marital problems? Why is my kid acting out? I love God. And these other unbelievers, their kids are great. Their health is great. Their bills are paid. Why, God? Is there any benefit to serving you? You ever felt like that? That's why I read Psalm 73 as a scripture reading. I don't know if you remember what that said about 30 minutes ago. Asaph, who wrote the psalm, felt the exact same way. And he says, God, look around. The wicked prosper. They speak evil and they are blessed. They do so many wrong things and they are blessed in abundance beyond any measure. They have every, the highest level of happiness you can have. They're evil. What is going on? I don't get it, God. I love you. They hate you. They're blessed. Why? And he says, you know what? It's so bad, I can't even talk about it. I can't go talk about it, about 12, 13, 14, those verses. He says, I can't talk to people about it because I'm afraid if I voice these concerns, it might make other believers doubt. They're like, yeah, maybe this guy thinks it's real. Yeah, I can't even talk to somebody about it because it might cause somebody else to stumble and not believe, maybe to doubt. I can't even talk about it. My, my concerns are so serious. And he says, you know what? I need to talk to you, God. And he says he went into the sanctuary of God. And right after that it says, and God showed him. God revealed clarity to him. God showed him the picture. He revealed the whole story. And Asaph goes, whoa. They're going to destruction and I'm going to heaven. Whoa, God, your plan is actually... 
Your plan is right. You're blessing me beyond anything I actually deserve. I'm just so honored to actually have the truth of God. My life is more blessed than theirs. They got money. They got health. But I got the truth. That is greater than anything they have. I see it now. Thank you for showing me. I will go tell the world that you are the greatest God. You are the only God. And I will share your glories with anybody who comes around me. God had it right the whole time. Asaph just didn't understand. He didn't see it. But when God showed him his plan, his plan was wonderful. And he loved it. And he said, I will praise you every day. Same thing happened for Hannah. You think she wanted that other wife? I don't think that was part of the plan. But would she change it? Because what it led her to, that pain and suffering, what it led her to was getting down on her knees and praying a prayer that God could get on board with, that she would have a son that would make a difference for the kingdom of God. And she got Samuel. And there's two books in the Bible named after that dude. You think she's happy with how things turned out? You think she said, God, your plan is amazing. I hated it about 25 years ago, but I love it now. You had it right this whole time. Why did I ever doubt you? Thank you for bringing that pain. Thank you for causing that suffering because it drove me to my knees to the foot of your throne where I threw all my cares before you, the one God who has the final say in every matter. And you delivered. And your plan was good this whole time. But before we go, I want to tell you this story. This just happened. There's a family of four. Husband, wife, two kids. Not really believers. They were raised to know the truth, but they're not believers. They get pregnant with a third child. Turns out the child has Down syndrome. Father-in-law says, hey guys, you got a good life, you got money, you got two healthy kids. You don't need this. Abort. And the parents are like, oh, I don't think that's a good reason for that. Now they're not Christians. They don't have these principles. But they're still put in this horrible situation. Man, now what do we do now if we have this child knowing... Grandpa doesn't even want this child. He wants to end it. And so they move forward, and the dad gives them more ridicule. What are you guys doing? You've got a great life to look forward to. This baby right here, you're going to have to care for it the rest of your life. It's going to be special needs. Abort the baby. All this pressure put on them. They don't. They have the child. Dad doesn't even want to go in the room to see the baby. Finally, after everyone else goes in, they say, you want to go see your grandchild? He walked in, looked at it, turned around and said, I saw it, got in his truck and went home. What a horrible situation. What a horrible environment for these two parents that bring this child in the world to have knowing their dad is now bitter towards them. The dad doesn't even want this grandchild. But you know what happened? Those two parents say, you know what we need right now? We need God. I said, we're going to church, we're going to Bible study, we need him. And if they start going to church and they hear the truth and they believe, and their two other children hear the truth and believe, was it worth it to have that child, to go through all that pain and suffering? If the whole family gets saved, you better believe it was worth it. Was it worth the pain? Was it worth the hardship? Did God have the plan right the whole time? If that's what it took to get that family saved, are you glad you had that Down syndrome, baby? You better believe you are. You'll be thanking God for that gift. 
every day of your lives. God is right. God is good. God has the final say. His plan is right every time. He said, do you want to know the key to success and blessing? Know my word and obey it. My way is always the best way. He's our God. What do we deserve? We deserve hell. He proved his love for us when he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. He showed us grace. He showed us mercy. He showed us kindness. He is a good God. His plan is always in our best interest. If you don't know him, he's worthy of believing. He's worthy of following. And he is true. And his word is always right. And he doesn't just say, I am God. He says, if you believe in me, I'll adopt you into my family. And I will be your father and you will be my children forever. That's a good God. When we go through times of suffering and pain, may we have a godly perspective on it knowing he's got a plan and it's always a good one. Keep fighting for him. We got a reward coming one day. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's close with a song.